We've had free agency. We've had the draft. So where do the Packers project in 2022? Another Summer Friday series with Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager is next. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. I really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Bob. Every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukow. going to cover the Packers for The Leap. And newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen every day. We hope you like starting your day with us as much as we like starting our day with you. Summer Friday today, so no preamble from me. We will get right into our conversation with Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager. And we talk about trying to fix analytics in football, the wide receiver three problem, which is really a wide receiver one, two, three problem, uh, and how the Packers fit into all of that, plus projecting this team where they fit in the rest of the NFC and why Matt LaFleur is an underrated coach in the NFL. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoff esports and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, let's talk to Eric. Joining me now from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager. And and Eric, uh, this is the time of the offseason where we are looking for things to talk about. So I'm I'm glad to have you on because Pro Football Focus is always working on some cool stuff. Uh, your colleague Trevor Sikama just put out the 25 under 25, which I thought was an interesting list. I want to ask you a big picture question about analytics because I know data science is is sort of your raison d'etre over there. When, when you're looking at the problems that you think can be solved with the quote-unquote numbers, this is a big point of contention about why the NFL has not done more when it comes to data science and, and, and the analytics. Do you buy the idea of, well, it's just harder in football because of whatever XYZ reasons? I kind of do. I mean, as somebody who you know works on a lot of this stuff, it, it's just – it's pretty hard. You know, like you, you – you have, you know, basketball is 10 players. Uh, you know, baseball is a, basically a consecutive string of one-on-one, uh, you know, battles. Basketball is a little bit more complicated. So, you know, they've, they've moved along faster, but they also have more data availability. Um, we at the NFL, you know, just now, you know, the last five years or so are getting tracking data. So we're able to better measure some of the things we care about. And, and then I think like, you know, ultimately it is moving though. I mean, when you look at, you know, and the Green Bay Packers, I think are a team that, that, you know, resembles this, but, you know, five years ago, there were no teams in the NFL that went for fourth downs more than half of the times they should have. And now I think it's about, I think it's 16 or 17 teams and the Packers being like one of the main ones that do it relatively frequently. Um, So the, 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 you know, play action, for example, is one thing that, you know, everybody in analytics was saying, Hey, this is way more effective than even, uh, conventional wisdom says it is, and we've seen a lot more play action of late. Um, 
you know, so, so I think things are moving. It's slow. And we're still in sort of what I would call like one dimensional problems, which is, you know, you move one variable uh, and it, and it makes the game better. Uh, I think the next question is going to be, you know, and, and, you know, the Packers have this with their, with their Barry defense. It's sort of like, okay, if I make defensive tackle better, does that make my coverage, you know, like the second order stuff that is so interesting. Um, I think we're just starting to be able to tackle those now, but it's just, it's the difficulty of, of what we're working with. And it's also, um, you know, I think a little bit of old guard, but I, I, I would say that, you know, these teams want to win. So the stuff that's been easy to acclimate, they've done it. And the stuff that's a little bit harder, I think that's next. And, and this is generally speaking, how things work, right? Like it, it, someone in baseball had to start saying, let's look into these problems in a certain way. And, and they're just ahead of where the NFL is in terms of understanding and, and trying to take on these, as you said, second order problems. One of the things that, that has been fascinating is this, this work on um, the, the way that you guys evaluate coaches. What, what can you tell me about that? Cause I know that the PFS has been working on a sort of coaching metric as well. Yeah. So we'll look at like how, how a team grades, um, you know, uh, on a play by play level, but also at a team level. And then, you know, you have various play level metrics. So I know football outsiders has DVOA, you know, I think most other people have what's called expected points added, which is basically how many points each play is worth. Um, and then the difference in that is going to be sort of how, how much this particular play contributes to uh, your straights. Um, and then you could say, okay, well, anything above and beyond the expectation based upon your players must be a product uh, of who your coach is. And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, people were pretty surprised about was, you know, how much that metric like Matt LaFleur of Green Bay, because, you know, and you think back and like, obviously he's working with a, a mo- you know, most valuable player, two times running quarterback, but you look at the things that they've had to overcome on this team and, you know, it's games without Devontae Adams in which they're undefeated. Uh, under Lafleur, it's you know a whole season without David Bakhtiari, who's the most valuable tackle in football in 2020. It's losing Corey Lindsley, who's the most valuable center in the NFL. Um, you know Robert Tanyan, tight end. You, uh, you know injuries. You had no. You know I think you you lost MBS for part of the season, and, right. and you know he adds something there. And, and the Packers, you know, only graded seventh best in the NFL last year per our metrics. But obviously, they're a 13 win team, which is better than being the seventh best team in the league. And so you you glom, you add a lot of that that you know I would say um, you know support onto Matt Lafleur as being a, a net positive for this team. So you did an interesting study. I, I think it was a couple of years ago, but I I just found it as I was going through and doing a sort of post post mortem on on the Packers, and you were looking at the impact of secondary receivers, particularly in playoff games. And what you found was there was actually a a closer correlation between the secondary receivers and how they performed in these games versus a number one, the, the longstanding assumption and an assumption that I made was, well, if you have Devontae Adams kind of doesn't matter as long as the pieces fit around. And, and what you found was, well, when the games are the closest, when are the, against the best competition in the playoffs, you actually, it's really important that that you have these secondary guys and not as not as important, the secondary pass catchers, I should say, and and not quite as important to have this sort of ultra elite top end number one receiver. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've seen this, 
you know, in, in things like baseball too, where, you know, a team like the Oakland A's is, is really engineered to win 110 games in the early 2000s, but not engineered to win in the playoffs because they didn't mm. have the depth and starting pitching to do, you know, and, and so, you know, most teams in the NFL don't do well uh, for a number of reasons. We think about Detroit Lions, you know, they get, they, they draft a corner number three overall, and he's either hurt or not very good the whole season. Well, a team like Green Bay is going to be able to match Devontae Adams up against that secondary and win repeatedly. Um, right. You know, a team like Minnesota, same thing where they have injuries in the secondary, they're ineffective. But then you get to the playoffs, and especially a team like Tampa Bay in 2020 where that team spent, I believe four day two picks in a span of two to three years on secondary players. Like they're just throwing numbers at the problem. And, you know, and so, and we saw in that game, MVS had like an 80 yard touchdown catch. So he certainly contributed, but you know, every, you know, it's hard to sort of attack a defense that has fewer weaknesses. If you don't yourself match up well, third player on third player, um, and, and so that's, I think, why you see teams maybe, you know, like like the Rams. And even if you look at the Rams in the Super Bowl, once Odell went down, that offense sort of screeched to a halt for most of that game. You look at the Bengals have three really good wide receivers. Um, you know, Kansas City, once once the Sammy Watkins left and once the, uh, you know, uh, McCole Hardman didn't work out as a draft pick, you know, a team like the Bengals was able to flank them with more players in the secondary than they had at wide receiver and ultimately cause them to have a bad second half and miss out on the Super Bowl. So it, it's, it's very interesting. And it, it's why when you look at some of these teams that have great quarterbacks, Kansas city, green Bay, um, you know, they're the, the wide receiver position. They were more willing. And I know green Bay and Kansas city both offered Adams and Hill uh, contracts, but there was a point of no return and, and a point where, Look, the, the the more money I spend on this one player, the, the the bigger the returns diminish. One of the things that I think that that brings up then is, um, is it is it simply the case that it is better to have a let's say a receiver group like um, Tampa is a kind of a, a, a tough example because Mike Evans is really really good, like like Carolina when they had DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel hit, you had three guys, none of them were elite, but all of them were, were pretty good players. Like, do you think that, that, that suggests that that is a, perhaps a better way to build your offense where you're not pouring resources into this thing? Although now the Panthers are paying DJ Moore, they use a first round pick on him. They paid Robbie Anderson, but to have that depth that that's more important than having this sort of alpha number one kind of guy. I think so. And you can even go back to Carolina's history where in 2014, they drafted Kelvin Benjamin in round one. They got him a thousand yard season and, you know, he tears his ACL in year two and they make the Super Bowl with a much more (laughs) finely distributed offense. Right. When you're not funneling all your targets to one player. I mean, ultimately in football, you know, most positions other than quarterback are weak link systems. Offensive line is a weak link system. Secondary. The secondary is more weak link than wide receiver. And I always thought I was wrong that wide receiver was a strong link system because you get to choose who to throw to. Um, I always thought that that meant that it was most important to be good at top on the top. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's different in the regular season where you're facing weaker teams. Um, But in the playoffs, it's, you know, it's, it's almost, you need to have like a counter, you need to have a left hand. And I think, you know, ultimately that's why guys like Rogers have had success in the NFL and Mahomes and, you know, Allen and and Burrow and guys like that, where they can go to their second read where maybe other guys, who you know are more like Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr kind of guys don't because they they can't sort of come off of their first read and they're very good at their first read. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting. I, I think, you know, when you look at Green Bay, you look at Kansas City, two teams who have traded number one bona fide wide receivers this offseason and have replaced them with more evenly distributed groups. I think it'll be a good case study for this because I think you can squint and say, you know, when you look at these markets for the Packers, for example, I don't necessarily know if they're going to win 13 games again, but maybe if they get, let's say they get like the three seed in the NFC, if that if that is true, then they probably survived the year at wide receiver and guys like Christian Watson and Sammy Watkins and, uh, you know, guys like that have not only stayed healthy, but have been good enough to to support an offense like that. And if that's the if that is the case, then maybe they're more equipped to win a playoff game than they were before. And, and the schedule matters too, right? And the Packers get to play in a division where, where there's three teams that, you know, we don't really know what to make of, of these teams. Uh, I think Chicago has one of the, the frankly worst rosters in the league. I said the other day on a podcast that I wouldn't be surprised. And in fact, I, I was stating outright that I thought the Lions would, would finish with a better record than, than the, the Bears would. You guys run simulations over there. What do your simulations say about what we can expect from the Packers this season? And I, I'm wondering particularly because I'm looking at win totals and trying to figure out, okay, where is, where is the smart money on green Bay? Yeah. So we make green Bay uh, 10.88 wins. So it depends upon the market. I've seen them lined at 11. I've seen them lined at 10 and a half. Um, you know, we have them uh, with a 10.5% chance to win the Super Bowl, which is the third highest on the betting markets right now. If you look at someplace like DraftKings, it's 10 to one, which is an implied probability or not implied a, a break even probability about nine which is the highest we've seen in the LeFleur. The LeFleur era has been weird, right? Because 2019 was a year where they kind of came out of nowhere. Right. And they had a bad point differential for a 13 and three team. So then the next year they were something like 20 to one. Um, and then obviously they were very good in 2020. And then 2021, we didn't know if Rodgers was going to play until basically the very last minute. So <laughs> this it, weirdly, people believe that this is the weakest Green Bay team under the floor. But in fact, the markets, I think, are the highest on Green Bay that they've ever been under Matt LaFleur. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that their defense could be pretty good. Um, we have them with a 60 percent chance to win the division. Um, and a 79% chance to make the playoffs. So, you know, if you look Minnesota, we have about nine wins, which is just classic, um, you know, Detroit, uh, 7.4 wins. I think Detroit's going to surprise some people. Um, I do too. And, and then you look at, at the bears, we have at 5.8 wins, which only Carolina has a lower win total in our minds. Uh, than, than Chicago. I think Chicago is going to be pretty horrid this year. And this is the uh, time of year though, Eric, where everyone seems to talk themselves into Minnesota that we there is that point in the off season every year where there is like, okay, we've run out of things to talk about. Let's convince ourselves that this is the year for Minnesota. It, have, it seems to happen every year. It's happened every year for like the last five years. Right. And, and, and I think like, you know, when you take a step, like, again, this is what I think of the second order problems as an analytics person, somebody grew up in Minnesota. I follow the Vikings fairly closely, but I, and I, and I think Kirk Cousins, we look at his individual statistics, they're pretty good, right? Like it's a 30 touchdown pass, less than 10 interception, 4,000 yard season. And then you, you come up for air and you look at some of these sort of connect the second order connected metrics. They were, they led the NFL in three and outs last year. Well, how do you lead the NFL in three and outs when your quarterback's that good? Um, you know, obviously their defense, uh, you know, Ed Donatel, they get him from Denver. I don't think he's going to be better than Mike Zimmer, but then they get Kevin O'Connell. This is Kirk Cousins' fifth consecutive year changing offensive play callers. So, wow. like, there's always just something that happens that derails Minnesota and keeps them uh, an arm's length away from Green Bay, even though 
you know, we all saw this in U.S. Bank Stadium. At their best, Minnesota can play with Green Bay. Um, but it's this the consistency that Green Bay has. And I think that, you know, when you look at, you know, what what is a shining light out of Green Bay relative to Minnesota, it's the consistency at the coach. It's consistency at the quarterback position. It's consistency at the line of scrimmage, right? Where you look at Kenny Clark tweets out how happy he is that they get to face Minnesota in week one. <laughs> um, you know, it, that, those are the kind of things where I'll always take Green Bay over a team like Minnesota just because even though there are great things that Minnesota does, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, um, even Danell Hunter, and, and now Zadarius Smith, the former Packer, like there's good components there, but Green Bay – is always that sort of franchise that can pull it together better, especially in a 17 game regular season than, than a team like Minnesota. So uh, this is a, a, a question that I have been trying to, to dig into and, and get some answers on, uh, you know, watching what they've been do- doing from a, a tape perspective. But I'm, I'm curious because I saw a, a back and forth that you and Aaron Schatz had about defending play action. And I, I was actually thinking about the opposite problem. And that is, the Packers play action offense has been pretty volatile over the last few seasons in 2020. Uh, I tweeted this out, Aaron Rodgers, I think had a grade over 97. I believe it was was like 97.1 on play action. And last year it was in the seventies. His passer rating fell 20 points. And I'm just trying to, to get a handle on if there's any trends that you see on how sticky that, that productivity is. Yeah, play action is one of those weird things where it sort of evens the playing field. So, you know, guys like Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, he'll be he'll prop up and have a nine and a half yards per pass attempt season, almost completely on the strength of a running game that finds its level. And, you know, teams have a tough time with him. Um, But year to year, that thing is so unstable. So generally speaking, if I want to evaluate a quarterback, I almost always just throw out play action passes because it depends upon, and this is one thing I've been trying to measure with the tracking data, like how, how often do teams bite on your play action? I found that it's actually, you know, at any given year, teams bite on Derrick Henry's play action more than they bite on, you know, uh, Daryl Williams play action or AJ Dillon's uh, uh, play action more than they bite on a weaker running backs play action. But the 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 almost all of the results of those plays are dependent upon things the quarterback doesn't really control right so whether a linebacker bites or not is really just like a product of those linebackers more than it is the 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 goodness of the fake and things like zach cunningham's always going to bite on play action bobby okariki's never going to bite on play action so like that's like a trait and so aaron Rodgers can't control that and so it's not really a sliver of the data where we find things out about rogers and the the and then to to come back on that it's like well in 2020 he had Robert Tanyan in 2021 they had injuries at tight end so you know the the parts of the field that are peppered with play action plays are you know not being occupied by players who are quite as good that means that that says to me less about Aaron Rodgers and more about just situations so generally speaking when you look at the data you know pressure data is pretty wild year to year stable pockets are pretty stable, right? So if a guy can make throws in a clean pocket, I'm going to be pretty, you know, able to predict him year to year. If a guy has a really pop-up season, so I think of like that year where Josh McCown threw 13 touchdowns and one interception for the Bears, well, his passer rating when under pressure was 30 points higher than any quarterback in all of football, right? So that's where you see it come down. Um you know, play actions, the same thing. Like Ryan Tannehill averaged something like 13 yards per pass attempt in 2019 with, with play action. And then that's, you know, Titans make the AFC title game. 
it hasn't been quite as good in, in subsequent years. And that's why the Titans, while good, have not been this elite team since then. So, you know, and, and so if you're a team like the Packers, maybe that means run less. You know, the thing issue is, is you want to run more play action because they're good plays, but it doesn't necessarily get the marginal value out of your quarterback because your quarterback would be good with or without play action. Whereas if you're a team that has a weaker player at the quarterback position, like a Minnesota, like a Tennessee, like a uh, Las Vegas, you want to run more of that stuff because that equals the playing field between the quarterback you have and the quarterback, the elite teams like Green Bay have. Yeah, what what I it was a few years ago, and I think it was the the last few years of the McCarthy era. Rodgers was actually just flat better than he was or without play action than he was with it. And that to me was like, oh, well, imagine what he's going to be like when the play action game is actually good. We saw that in 2020. He was had his best season probably since 2011. Eric, this was awesome, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let my my listeners and, and my my viewers now on YouTube uh, know where they can find more of the work that you do. Peter, this was a pleasure. I have, I'm on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. Uh, I also have a podcast, the PFF forecast that comes out um, on su- uh, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. I also do a Kansas City Chiefs podcast with my, my friend Seren Petro every Tuesday night. If you are, a, I know that there's a crossover there, right? Because the Chiefs played in River Falls the longest time in training camp. So if you are a, a Packers fan who also enjoys the Chiefs, I do have a Chiefs podcast every Tuesday night called Red, Gold, and Bold. So, uh, yeah, we're all busy. Uh, hopefully, uh, after you're done listening to this show, you can catch some of mine. That'd be great. Eric, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right, I want to thank Eric for joining the show. Great to talk to him. I not, not, not talked to him before. I'd met him in person. We met at the Super Bowl, actually. Uh, but we had not had a chance to, to talk on the mic before so great to get him on the show i actually thought he was uh a a true blue vikings fan but it turns out he's he's more fan agnostic he's just from minnesota likes the chiefs likes the packers i think likes teams that that do things that that he respects and it turns out the packers are one of those teams today's episode is brought to you by our friends at built bar i love brownies but you know what is sometimes better than brownies is the batter and when you make brownies, doesn't matter if you use a box or make them from scratch. I do both. You, you eat you like the spoon. I mean, that's that's the good stuff. Well, Built's latest creation is set to give you that feeling. Have you tried Built Puffs yet? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? It is 100% chocolate covering protein-infused marshmallows with some of the most ridiculous flavors you can imagine. I had the birthday cake puffs today. I'm going to have the brownie batter puffs tomorrow. I promise you that. And what they do is they deliver on flavor while also giving you everything you want from a macro perspective. Protein and fiber with low calories, low net carbs, low in sugar. Go to built.com if you don't believe me. And use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen every day. Now go make your second listen, Locked On NFL. The schedule may be dark, but the NFL never stops and neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts like your boy, repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Locked On NFL on YouTube wherever you get podcasts. All right, we are going to be back next week to get into a lot more about the Green Bay Packers. We are not called Locked on Packers for nothing. So fun shows, 
on deck next week. More interviews, more good stuff. And go check out the, the piece that I did for The Leap today, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to on Quay Walker and how he will fundamentally, fundamentally change the way this team wants to play defense. Go check that out at theleap.substack.com. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920-341-3775. Stay Locked on Packers.